If you have your, your Bibles, you can make your way again to Romans chapter 5. In, in Romans 5, we're finishing Romans chapter 5 today. Um, I just want to. I just want to start by reading that. Usually, we, we we talk a little and then read it. I just want to read that text first, just to to allow it to saturate our hearts prior to to any thoughts today. So um, we'll be in Romans chapter five, verses eighteen through twenty one. Um, if you'll follow along as I read, Paul says, "Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men." For as by the one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you will pray with me again just as we start our time today. Father God, I just pray that as we open your word, God, that your truth would impact us as only it can. God, that we wouldn't try to mold your truth to shape our desires, but God, we would allow your truth to shape us. I just thank you that we're not alone. I thank you that you didn't leave us to figure this out ourselves, but you gave us your word and your truth and your spirit is active, teaching us so that we might understand. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week we, we, we looked at the idea that, that all of mankind became s- uh, sinful because of our representative Adam. We, we talked about the idea that he's our federal head. He's our representative before God, and as such, when he sinned, his original act of sin, then inherited, left an inheritance of sinfulness on all mankind, or that the way James Montgomery Boyce says it, that we were declared sinners because of Adam's sin. So, and, and we talked about the difference of the sinfulness leading to sin, not we're sinners, and then we become sinful. We're sinful first by nature in our hearts, and then that leads us then to the outflow of those actions. And, and as I was looking at this, I was talking to Daniel this week uh, at school, and I was like, you know, when I first started looking at this, I was like, why don't I just include those verses with last week? Because they're pretty much the same thing, right? And, and maybe you thought that way. Maybe if you, when you got the message last night, you read through there, and you're like, well, what's different between this and 12 through 17? There, there's not a lot. But, but now that I've, I've worked through it a little more, and I, just, I feel like that there's a distinct difference because I think these last three verses, while Paul continues to paint this masterpiece of what, it, what we are and who our representative is, I think today these last verses really solidify our identity. They, they, they really solidify the idea of who is our representative or who are we in. We're either in Adam or we're in Christ. And, and Paul does that by giving us three different contrasting views when we look at this passage. It's it's critical, though, that we understand our identity because where we go next week, where we start next week is we're transitioning into, this is the last time we're talking God's provision, and then we start working into God's power. And so if we don't understand our identity, then chapters 6, 7, and 8 of Romans are really difficult to understand. They're, they're really difficult to grasp 
as we look at God's power, if we don't understand who our identity is as Christians in Christ or sinners outside of Christ. And so today is kind of that, that final critical detail of Paul's painting. He's finishing this so that we can move forward and start a new work because we have to understand and we will today that all people are either in an Adam, which leads to condemnation and death, or we're in Christ, which leads to righteousness. It, and ultimately that righteousness to eternal life. And we live in a culture that says your identity can be whatever you make it, right? That, that your identity can be rooted in anything that you choose. And it's crazy to see all the different options. Like, it's crazy to see all that, but we have to understand there's two choices. It's in Adam or it's in Christ. There's no other way that we can look at that. And so today, as we look at those different ideas or these contrasting views, we'll see that for the reality is. And, and just as we start, it's real easy when you start talking about the differences to assume that when we talk about Christians in the way that we'll talk today is that we assume that you're supposed to be perfect. That's not at all what we're saying. Just want to say that it, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be different, but it, 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 we should be different. We should be different in how we speak, what we laugh at, what we choose to entertain ourselves with, what we choose to have our hearts captivated, but we're not talking about perfection because we're still not perfect. And so as we look at these both sides, don't get that idea that we're just supposed to be perfect because you can't be. We'll just finish that right there. You're not. You're not perfect. But the difference is there should be a gospel awareness saturating every aspect of our lives that produces a life that looks different from those who are out of Christ and in Adam. If we look at this again, look at verse 18 with me as we kind of get started. We see that the first contrast is that there's condemnation versus justification. And verse 18 says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. And if you're like me, you're like, okay, so what does that mean? Like, how does that actually impact my life? That's great. We see both. And, and the reason, the, the way that I looked at it is, I asked myself, what stands out in that verse? Like, what, what stands out? What words stand out when you read that, when you hear me read it, when you follow along, when you're reading along, what words stand out? For me, there was three different ones that really jumped off when I looked. The first one was the word one. We see it again. This is 13 times Paul uses the word one in verses 12 through 21. 13 times do we see the verse in Paul's writing use the word one. But here it's just a little different because I think it talks more of the action and not the person. He's still referring to the person, but now he's just focusing, kind of singling out the action of that person. Whereas last week it was one man, Adam, one man, Christ. Today it's that man, but it's that one action of that man. It's one action of that representative. So the first one we see is that there's one trespass. There's one single act. There's one trespass that leads to condemnation. That is Adam's original sin. When Adam sinned, that one trespass is what led to all people being condemned. It was that one action. And so often we get get caught up in this idea that it's all right if you mess up. It's, It's okay, and it is but we have to realize that just one sin completely fractured and marred God's perfect creation. It was one action that led to the sinfulness being 
passed down and inherited from generation to generation. Adam failed one time, and it fractured creation. He failed one time. But then we see the other one act of righteousness. And Paul's referring to Jesus' death on the cross. That one action led to righteousness, justification, and life. And so while there was one trespass, one original sin, there was one act on the cross to counteract that. And, and we have to remember, when Paul says that there's one act that leads to justification, he's not talking that our sin didn't have a cost. Sometimes we can forget that, that we, we talk so much about forgiveness in Christ and what he's done that we forget that there was a penalty, there was a payment for the sin. We just don't have to pay for that. That was the one act. The one act on the cross was the payment for our sin so that we couldn't stand up among it. So Jesus did for us. Sin has a price in Christ. Jesus paid that price on the cross in one act of righteousness. And that's why that stands out. It's just that one trespass, that one act of righteousness. We have to look at two events to find our identity. We're either in Christ through his death, life, and resurrection, or we're in Adam and his original sin and failure to obtain what God has said. And the next word that jumps out to me is condemnation. Right? This is where you get the, the contrast. And the result of Adam's one action was that we were condemned. And so in Adam, you can only find condemnation. In Adam, people are condemned. That's the only thing that you find in Adam is to be condemned. We can't start over. We can't go back and, and reboot. We can't take care of that situation ourselves. It's kind of like someone that has a virus on their computer and they want to, they so they're going to reinstall the software, but they don't take care of the virus. So when you reinstall it, what happens? You still have the virus, right? You got to take care of the problem before you restart the system, but we can't do that. So in Adam, there's no way to just start over. We can't just sit down, pull up ourselves from the bootstraps like people are taught, and just keep going and make yourself better because you can't solve the root problem, which is that in Adam, when your identity is in Adam, You're all rendered, we are all rendered sinful. And like Adam, we have a tendency to run from our sin. We we run from it. If we run far enough and hard enough away, we can't see it anymore. Just like Adam, we all try to hide from the consequences of our sin, right? What did they do in the garden? They hid themselves. They heard God coming, they hid themselves. They clothed themselves and primitive garments, and then what happened as soon as they were caught? This is, our, this is one I, I think I fall for most often is they rationalized, right? No one, there was no one at fault in the story when the original sin happened, right? No one was at fault because everyone had someone else to blame, and they rationalized away their sin. And so often, those who are in Adam do the same thing, that we fail to realize that it's just a continual cycle of when we're condemned in our sin, we run, we hide, and we rationalize because then we don't have to deal with it because deep down I think that we know we can't. I think deep down when no one's watching or no one's talking, when we, when we consider the condition of our heart, we realize that there's nothing we can do about it. And so what do we do? We transfer that doubt onto someone else and we start picking apart other people, saying, oh, well, that person's worse, so it's, it's a way to build ourselves up. If we can't deal with ourselves, then we're going to point out where someone else is worse because then that makes us feel better. That makes us realize that, hey, well, maybe it's not that bad. 
but it is that bad because one act, one trespass led to condemnation. And the other word, the, alt, the opposite side of that is justification. Right? If we're condemned in Adam, then in Christ we're all justified. Through Christ's sacrificial death, we are all justified and restored to the right standing of a God. So we no longer need to clothe ourselves with primitive clothing because we're clothed with Christ's righteousness. We don't have to hide because we have free access to God. We don't need to run away because in Christ we're justified and we have access to the Father. We don't have to fear because Christ is with us. Justification, it's amazing. It's an amazing realization to know that you're a sinner yet you've been forgiven. That was the basis of the Reformation teaching. It's the basis of Martin Luther. is the simul justus et peccator was his Latin phrase that you're simultaneously or at the same time you're justified and a sinner. We still have that sinful heart yet in Christ we have free access to God because it was Christ that paid the price for our sin. A little side note here, if you look at 18, a lot of people see this when they see the very part of that says that righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. And so what they do is they take the argument that if condemnation for all people in Christ, somehow all people, and they teach universalism out of that. The idea that that everyone in some way and somehow is going to be saved. And so just to, to let you know, that's not what Paul's talking about. That's not what he's talking about. And if we're honest, if we look at the whole scope of Paul's writings, you can't get to that through that verse. So just simply put, we'll say that, that it's those who believe are saved. We'll talk about that again here in just a second. So if we look at all of Paul's writings, we understand that he's not talking about that all people are justified. We'd know that he would add in that all people are justified through faith in Christ but it's not all we either are condemned or we're justified we're either in Adam or we're in Christ those are the only options for our identity to rest secure but if we keep going we see the next contrast in verse 19 which is disobedience versus obedience in verse 19 it says for by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous it's not really hard to see that, right? You don't, take, you don't have to be a theologian to say, hey, he's talking about disobedience, obedience, right? So here's you evidence that I'm not that special because I just took what was there and we're going to talk about it. So um, if you're wondering. So, um, but, but if we look at that, there's something different, right? There's a, there's a, there's a, a subtle change ver- from verse 18 to 19. And, and what happens is that Paul's not contrasting just the actions. He's talking about the consequences of the actions now. He's talking about what the actions are and how they're played out, disobedience, obedience. But he's talking about the consequence of those actions. And the first we'll look at is disobedience. And, and simply put, Adam's disobedience counts all of us as sinners. And see, that's where the change is. It's not condemn, we're not condemned by his disobedience. We're declared sinners, which sinners, sinful, leads to condemnation. And so his disobedience led to us being sinners. Why? Because God chose him to be our representative. Because Adam willfully disobeyed an explicit command of God. And if you go back to Genesis, if you read that part of the story, it wasn't, 
It wasn't vague on what God called him to do, right? There wasn't a, oh, well, maybe he didn't understand. No, he knew it was an explicit command. Don't eat this. And what happened? He ate. Right? He ate. He wanted to be like God, if you remember how he was tempted. For surely you'll be like him. And don't we all do that in our own lives? We all want to control and be in charge. We all want to be like God in our lives so we can determine everything. That's why we have to know where our identity is because when we understand our identity, we know where the power truly rests. We also have to remember that, that although Adam's disobedience happened, but it was a good thing, right? It was a good thing that he was tempted with. And so many times we think of sin as this grotesque thing. But in the garden, it was enticing, right? He saw that it was good to eat. It wasn't this crazy thing that you're like, oh my gosh, how could he do it? No, he was enticed by something that was, was good. And so when we realize that, we see that disobedience, we see that, that so often we are too. The things that distract us, that lead us to sin, are so often the most desirable, enticing things. Because it's easy to turn away from the bad stuff, right? In nature, if something's red, it usually ends up bad, right? You, you know that. Like God labeled bad stuff red so you know not to mess with it, right? But so many times it's not that way if our sin. And that's the subtle difference because it leads to sin, not condemnation. Disobedience is an act of sinning. All people are therefore born with a sinful heart, which will at one time eventually manifest itself in an expression of sin, all because of Adam's disobedience. But then we get to the other side. If we look at the rest of the verse, there's, there's a positive. So by one man's obedience, there's this obedient act to Christ. And so we have to understand that, that Christ was being obedient in his death on a cross. That's what Paul says in Philippians 2, that he humbled himself even to death, to the point of death on a cross. That because of Christ's obedience through faith, I have to say through faith because it's not just obedience blanket. It's through faith in understanding and knowing that that act of obedience will lead to being made righteous. He perfectly, totally, completely obeyed God. And through faith, we can be exalted because Christ humbled himself. It's a dramatic change that we don't understand because there's so few people that will actually humble themselves to exalt someone else. Right? We're, we're selfish. We, we place ourselves up at the expense of others, and Christ did the exact opposite through his obedience to the Father, allowed himself to be humbled, to be killed, to be murdered, so that we might be exalted, saved, and made righteous. And we have to understand that, that here's where we can, we can trace this forward. We look at the end of verse 19, so that many will be made righteous. It's not telling that everyone will be, many will be made righteous. But, but we, when we look at that, he's talking about a future event. He's talking about this future event that, that one day everyone will face and stand judgment. And in Christ, when our identity's in Christ, we'll be made righteous because we're clothed with his righteousness. So it doesn't mean that we're not going to be judged. It just means that when we're judged, we're clothed in his righteousness. We're made righteous because of his obedience. We still are judged, yet we're judged in Christ. Because of his obedience. 
And that gives you confidence, right? That gives you this idea that, that even though so many times we fail to realize or live our lives, that we're secure in Christ because Christ's obedience. Where we are incapable of being obedient and following what God's called us to do, Christ already has done it for us. We merely submit our lives to Him. And that leads us to the last example here. And it's kind of confusing if we look at it. When we look at this idea of, of law and grace, it's a little harder because so many times this has been messed up and screwed up by churches. And so this is actually, this is, my, this is the exciting one to me because it really identifies who you are. When we look at verses 20 and 21, we see now it's law versus grace, which gets confusing when we look at verse 20. It says, now the law came to increase the trespass. And if you look at that, you might have eventually thought, when we read it even further, like, what, is, does that, what does it mean by the law increases the trespass? And then you might take that a step further and say, well, does that mean since God gave the law that God's causing sin? Because there's so many people that take that leap, that take, well, if the law increases trespass, whatever that means, well, that has to mean that God then increased the trespass. That God somehow is involved in the sin, but that's not at all what Paul's saying. It's not at all what he means because we have a misunderstanding about the law. What we have to understand is that, that there's so many ways that you can look at that first. I've got a commentary, and the guy lists five different ways where you can interpret that verse. And I, I think that's just where he stopped. There's five different ways. The easy way to save us on time is, is to say, I'll give you a little, a little, this is like the cliff note version, right? So if you want that or whatever your cliff notes are called now, I'm sure there's something else online that, it's different. But the easiest way to say this is that a sinful heart's what produces sin. A sinful heart produces sin. And so when Paul says that the law increased the trespass, it's because God's law merely defines, exposes, and ultimately condemns sin. It's not saying that it's causing people to sin, but the awareness of the sin increases. It's the sinful heart that causes people to sin. God's law doesn't cause you to sin. It exposes it. It reveals sin. And so when you look at it from that sense, when the law was given, remember there was a time between Adam and Moses, and then when the law is given, the trespass increased because now the awareness was totally felt. We have to remember that God's law was never given to save mankind anyways. It's showing them how to live. It's showing them how they're separate from the rest of the world. We can't forget that there were other people living on the world in biblical times, right? They, it wasn't just the Israelites roaming around. There were other people. So God's law is showing them how to live their life, but it's also exposing them to the reality of their sin. And it does the same for us. It does the same for us. And if we're not careful, we too can be just like the Pharisees who Jesus called, they're nothing more than whitewashed tombs, Right? What he meant by that, what he said to the Pharisees, what he's saying that is that you might uphold the law, but all that's doing is making a tomb look pretty, a tombstone look pretty, because in reality, you're dead on the inside. You're spiritually dead because the law can't provide life. It was never given for that. And there's so many Christians today that are guilty of the same thing. There's so many people today that would label themselves of Christians, yet their life doesn't change. There's so many people that, that would call themselves Christians that nothing in their life is different from any of their other neighbors. The only problem is they're probably more miserable because they're trying so hard and failing. 
There's so many people that can't live up to their own standards, but yet they're not willing to submit their lives to Christ. Because they've been taught that it's about what you do instead of what he did. There's so many that claim salvation, yet the inward reality shouts something completely opposite. And you can tell that by their life. If you spend some time with people, you'll know quickly how much the gospel saturated their life. You'll know it by how they serve others, how they love people, how they worship. There's so many people that would sit down on Sunday morning in church and have an external expression of worship, yet internally they're so far from God, they're condemned. We have to understand that, that the law and living by the law, holding the law does not save you. The law cannot save you. A moralistic living out of the law cannot save you. Your service to others can't save you. If you just go out and love people, that's not saving them or you. It's only submission to Christ that saves. And when we understand that, we realize that the only way then to submit to him is because it was an act of God's grace that gave Christ to us. And that's the difference between the law and grace, is that grace is able to do what the law can't. Grace saves you because Christ upheld the law perfectly for you and did what he couldn't do. He saved us. Grace is an amazing thing. We need to understand that. But then when we look at our lives, we need to understand that there's far more grace than there is sin. That there's far more grace than there is sin. It doesn't matter. And I've had, in the three and a half years that, that we've been existing as a church, I've had many times where people, one, have either just flat out said that I'm not good enough or I'm too messed up. It's typically how I'm too messed up. I'm beyond saving because I'm too messed up. And in that, they're believing a lie that their sin is greater than God's grace. Or maybe they don't ex exactly express it that way, but through conversation, they're implying that there's no way that they could do it. They don't, they don't believe that God's grace is truly free. They don't believe that there's something that's greater than how messed up they are. And you have to understand that you're not too messed up for God's grace to cover you. That there's not something that you've done that somehow outweighs God's grace and that it can't cover that. And if you think that you are, then you're believing a lie. There's far more grace then there is sin or evil in your life. And if you think about it, you can see that because so many times, if you look throughout history, there have been so many people that are Christians that I would say are true Christians that sin, right? How many people spoke out against slavery? I think one. Jonathan Edwards, considered one of the best preachers, great, great awakening, owned slaves. How is that possible? Would we throw out everything else that he did? No. But we need to understand that even though he still had sin expressed in his life, that grace was far greater than that. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. 
It means that you're covered by grace, but you have to continually submit to Christ. And that's what Paul's saying here is that that now the law came to increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Like that's something to highlight, to circle, to memorize, because every time you mess up, you can say that in Christ, when you've submitted your life, there's far more grace than what I've just done. That doesn't mean, we'll find out next week, that you keep sinning, right? Because that's the logical conclusion. And if you want to read ahead, we'll go ahead. And then Paul says that in 1 6.1. What, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin so that grace may abound? No. We'll talk about that next week. But that's what you think, right? Well, if there's more grace, what's it matter? It's not a license to sin, but it's understanding that you can have victory over the sin in your life in Christ alone. And so if you're in that life and you're in that point and you can't, can't work around any of that and you're just stuck in that, realize that, that you're capable of not sinning. You're capable of overcoming your sin because Christ has overcome that. You submit to Him and you find victory over your sin not because you're not sinful in your heart but because Christ replaces all of your desires with Himself and He's far greater. And so when you find yourself slipping into old habits, what's happening there is you're finding yourself falling into a level to where something else is more desirable than Christ. You're forgetting your identity is in Christ. And there's so many people that are beat up because they're just told, if you're a Christian, you've accepted Christ, okay, be a good person. That's what I was taught when I was a kid. Just be a good person. Right? Live how you're supposed to live. The problem was, I wasn't a good person. I screwed it up all the time. And what would I do? I'd be back in church on Sunday morning because that's what you're supposed to do. And it took so long for me to realize that it's not about being a good person because you're not. It's about realizing that in Christ, there's more grace than your sin because He was obedient when I can't be. So I can have victory over sin because I can look to Christ. And so when I see my desires waving and going somewhere else, then I can replace that with Christ. I can remember what he's done. And that's how Paul finishes this thing, and that's how we'll finish. Look at verse 21. Remember, so grace abound all the more. And then verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So you have to ask yourself, what's, ruling your, what's reigning or ruling in your life? What is your life in submission to? Is it sin? Or is it grace? Or better yet, where's your identity? Is it found in Adam? Where you're ruled by sin, leading to condemnation through your own disobedience. Even though it was inherited, we continue to disobey. Because if you're in Adam, then you're condemned by your sin, justly. By God condemned. Or you in Christ, ruled by grace, justified by faith in Christ's obedience in Christ's death, in Christ's resurrection. Are you justified by Christ alone? 
realizing that so often you can't even make yourself have a positive or non-sinful thought, yet you're ruled by grace. That's what's so amazing about Luther's statement, that you're simultaneously a sinner, yet justified. That, that that's reconciled because who we are in Christ, because one day we'll be made righteous. One day that will be finished. One day we'll be glorified with Him. Until then, as we submit to Him in Christ, as we submit to Christ, the Spirit sanctifies us, makes us more and more like Him, and you'll start seeing victories over sin. And if you've been a Christian for any time, you've been following, you've been seeking the Lord, you've been studying His Word, been seeking Him in prayer, then you'll know that some of the things that used to mess you up have no effect at all. Because you've grown. You've matured. It doesn't mean that that won't come back, but it means that you've experienced victory because Christ has replaced that desire with Himself. Our our identity is critical. Our identity is critical. Where our identity rests is critical because only in Christ will we find victory over sin. Only in Christ will we find hope when there is no hope in the world. Only in Christ will we be able to love others as He loved us. Because only in Christ is there enough grace to cover the magnitude of our sin and to bring us life when we deserve death, to bring us justification when we deserve condemnation. And so as we move on through Romans, we have to understand that our identity is in Christ or it's in Adam. Those are the only options. And the only way that we're in Christ is by submission to Him. You don't fix yourself up. You submit yourself to Him. And that's when grace is covered and righteousness is clothed. Let's pray. Father God, we get to thank you that, that even when we feel that we can't continue, your grace is more. God, even when the enemy tells us that we're condemned and we're defeated and we're not worth anything, that we know that you sent your son because you loved us. God, that even when sin is expressed in our actions, repent and know that your grace is far greater. Just pray that, that we would understand that the only way to have victory is in your son, Jesus Christ. I just pray that if there's people here that don't know him, that they would not wait, that they would submit their lives and that realize that in, when they submit their life, every aspect of their life, he claims. God, if there's people here that have just felt defeated because they feel like they have to live up to a standard so that you'll love them, I just pray that you're truth of the gospel would be evident in their lives. I just thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.